Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Some really scary news here in Los Angeles. So let me just get right to it and lay it out. Sham Sharinia tweeted, quote, USC All-American Bronny James collapsed on the court Monday and had a cardiac arrest. He was taken to the hospital. He is now in stable condition and no longer in the ICU. The following statement was released by the family. Quote, yesterday, while practicing, Bronny James suffered a cardiac arrest. A James family spokesperson said in a statement, quote, medical staff was able to treat Bronny and take him to the hospital. He is now in stable condition and no longer in ICU. We ask for respect and privacy for the James family, and we will update media when there is more information. It goes on, quote, LeBron and Savannah wish to publicly send their deepest thanks and appreciation to the USC medical and athletic staff for their incredible work and dedication to the safety of their athletes, end quote. So in one sense, sort of hard to believe that it's a real story, but it is in fact a very real story. And first things first. Obviously, let's be very happy that the young man appears to be okay. I want to talk to Dr. David Chow about this momentarily and get his thoughts. But importantly, primarily, it would appear that he is improving and is fine right now in stable condition. That's the most important thing. He is out of ICU and stabilized. So that is the most important thing right now. It's a really, really scary situation. But like we said, after the DeMar Hamlin incident, being on a court or being on a field with a professional training staff around is essentially, if you're going to have an episode like that, that is one of the best places to be. Not that there's any good place to have a cardiac arrest, but if you're going to, that is one of the best places to be because they have medical personnel. They have the devices. They have a way to get you help immediately. But never a good thing, obviously. At least he had good help close by, and we can all be thankful for that. According to TMZ, a 911 call was placed at 926 a.m. yesterday from the Galen Center, USC's home gym. At that time, Bronny was reportedly unconscious and then, of course, rushed to the hospital. So, yes, that sounds every bit as terrifying, or it is every bit as terrifying as it sounds. And once again, I'm just glad that he appears to be okay. I'm not sure what that means for Bronny moving forward. We'll get into that with the pro football doc, Dr. David Chow, although there are so many unanswered questions. But I don't think right now is the time to really speculate on what that means. Here's what I do know. Now is not the time for hot takers and lava spewers and folks to rush in with their own agendas saying this is why this happened, this is what the kid did do or what he didn't do or it wouldn't have happened. So you can take a victory lap around Twitter, I mean the X. Now is not the time for that. We're not having that conversation here. You can take all of that someplace else. I'm not here for that. This is really scary stuff. It happened to a young person. And say what you want about LeBron. Feel the way you want about LeBron. 
Most of you listening, I would imagine, are parents. You can relate to how terrifying an episode like that would be. The health of the young man is where the focus should be right now, not what LeBron or someone on a social media team was tweeting about later in the day. I mean, that's a whole different sidebar. Like, who even knows if that person knew what happened or if they're on the same page with LeBron? Safe to assume LeBron would not be cracking wise about Saudi money on a day that his son had a cardiac arrest. I think we're pretty safe in assuming that, right? Either way, that's neither here nor there. I don't care about that. Now is not the time to vomit up some hot take to get people to look at you, to try to go viral, to try to get a reaction, to try to get likes. The main thing is the young man's health, which seems to be stabilizing, and that's a good thing. Again, what I'm saying is now is not the time for hot takes or speculation or agendas. Just stop with that. If the family is looking for privacy at this time, I don't think that's too much to ask for. And again, the pro football doc, Dr. David Chow, is going to join me next segment. And I want to get his initial thoughts on what this means, how that might happen, what it means going forward the severity of it, and what we know, what we know so far. Telephone number is toll-free, 1-800-636-8686. Don't take a story like this and politicize it and use it for your own agenda. I mean, if you're going to, I can't stop that. Just know I'm not doing that here. We're not doing that here. Dr. David Chow is my guest. Doc, you're on the air right now. Good to have you. How are you? Uh, Doing great. Thank you for having me. Good to have you, Doc. So let me ask you about Bronny. Really, really scary stuff. In your opinion, can you describe exactly what's going on here and what likely happened to him? Well, look, all due respect to Bronny, I want to provide some background and optimism. Yes, as you said, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. But what I really do is, as a former head team physician for the Chargers, if something cardiac happened, it would be my role to interpret what happened and let the team know, family know, et cetera, kind of playing ombudsman. And it's, it's kind of what we did during DeMar Hamlin and we came on your show for. So what we know right now is confirmed cardiac arrest on Monday morning. The great news is the family has now said that he is out of the ICU, which means he's no longer intubated with any breathing tube, if he ever was, and he's making great progress. Not to compare directly to DeMar Hamlin, but remember, he had a breathing tube for three days or more, was in the ICU for at least four days, and was in the hospital for nine days. Bronny's on a much quicker path, and let's hope he stays on that path. We are talking to Dr. David Chow. So he's in stable condition. The two situations are very dissimilar. Does this mean that he is in the clear? Well, look, he's look, the, the first few moments are the most important, as we saw with DeMar Hamlin. And so far, what sketchy news there is, is good. And I'm not here to try and speculate. But look, the good news is that this didn't happen as he was practicing in the park outside or at a high school gym. This happened at Galen Center on the campus of USC, which means that it was likely supervised with athletic trainers and or other people. So quick action, 
don't, you know, certainly you don't have NFL sideline 25 people there, medical professionals, but at least there was the one that could go into quick action. And that hopefully helped Bronny quite a bit, whether an AED was involved was speculative at this point right now. But interestingly enough, Rome, that last year in July, there was a freshman center for USC that had a heart issue and collapsed and was taken to the hospital and a cardiac arrest. And I'm not saying the two situations are exactly similar, but he returned to play basketball in January of this year, about six months later. We're talking to Dr. David Chow. So you just hit on two things that I wanted to ask you about. Number one, how unusual is an episode like this for somebody that age? Well, you know, there's different epidemiological statistics, and this is why it's very important to do pre-participation physicals. And look, the number can be as high as one in 50,000. And the predilection is for young, male, bigger, slash taller athletes. And epidemiologically, it's more common in black males. And this is why not all high schools have the ability to do cardiac screening, certainly not echoes, certainly not always EKGs. Uh, I don't know if he's had a full screening physical for USC yet, but this is what happens certainly at the NBA combines, NFL combines, et cetera, when it's a spare no expense. So it is a phenomenon that's out there and there's several different potential causes for it. But yeah, I mean, you think about it, one in 50,000 uh, young male athlete basketball players, that's not small number. No, it's not. Dr. David Chow is joining us. I mean, so his immediate health, obviously, is the most important thing. But if we were to project, what does this mean to his career overall? Purely speculation and hypothetical. But if we just have that conversation, what does it mean to him overall going forward? Well, you know, even for DeMar Hamlin, you know, based on film, a witness, we were the first at Sports Injury Central to say commotio cordis, which later been okay. And we waited nine days until he left the hospital before we did any analysis or published the analysis on return. But we said after DeMar Hamlin left that the option to return to NFL football will be open to him, whether he wants to or not. And that obviously has now happened and he is returning. At this point, to stay optimistic, and I'm not trying to be speculative, the, the man still in the hospital still is my understanding, although not in ICU, which is great news. I'm very hopeful that the option to return to play will be open to him. But that really depends on why it happened. The number one reason is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Number two reason would be some sort of anomalous coronary artery. Number three reason, electrical uh, anomaly, conduction, not trying to be all medical, but it really depends on why and what happened and why it happened. But Fingers crossed, things are looking good so far, and we can just uh, hang our head on that right now. No doubt. So before I let you go, what else should we know about the situation and what's next for him? Well, what's next is, you know, obviously, you know, he's out of the ICU. He's not intubated. It's to get out of the hospital. Then what's next is any follow-up studies that he, that he needs as to what caused it. And then hopefully a ramp up to normal life and then perhaps consideration of sports. So, Really what we try and do, Rome, and that's why you have me on here, is, is provide some analysis of where this might be. Right now, all we have is just the one report, and everyone's wondering, and everyone's praying for his good health. And hopefully we're providing some framework and optimism 
as we always say at Sports Injury Central, we provide injury analysis, not injury reporting. And hopefully this gives people uh, some hope that he might be okay. And let's hope he continues along this path quickly. So, Doc, this is really good information. I appreciate that. Are you going to track this story yourselves on Sports Injury Central? And for those who are not familiar with the site or maybe forgot where it is, where should they go? SICscore.com. We have a good summary article of the causes, how common it is, some of the really good questions you have. We talk about that freshman center from USC last year. We talk about Pete Maravich. We talk about, you know, uh, the uh, Hank Gathers, how this relates. And uh, it's a good summary for people who are curious about this situation to get some information uh, at a time that's uh, where everything's a very up in the air. Excellent information, Doc. Appreciate it very much. And once the football season comes around again, which is right around the corner, I know we'll have more conversations like this too. Thanks so much, Doc. Look forward to it. Thank you. U.S. Cellular is introducing us mode. You know, it's kind of like airplane mode, but for people, it's a way to set up your phone so it does not get in the way of people really being with each other. Block distractions. Make way for real connections. Give it a try. Visit U.S. Cellular in-store or online, and they'll help set up your phone to us mode. Free, even if you're not a customer. Built for superior 5G connection and real human connection, U.S. Cellular. Built for us. Find out more at uscellular.com slash find us. Usually we're talking about the dog days of summer. At the end of July, not today, not this Tuesday. This is not one of those random Tuesdays where there's not a damn thing going on. And we're reaching. There's a lot of damn things going on. All right, including an update on the NFL. You want to talk about breaking news. More breaking news. Major breaking news in the NFL this morning. A significant, Alvin, can I have my sounder, please? Breaking news, thank you. A significant off-season thread finally tied up. Heads up. Shocking news. Alvin, I wouldn't mind that sounder one more time. Just so they know that there is a significant breaking story. You ready? Saquon Barkley got a new contract. It's true. You want to talk about something that seems like fake news. Man, that turned quickly. Man, that turned fast. It finally happened, and when it did, it happened really quickly. I mean, how about that? Uh, uh, who said running backs were screwed? Who said that it literally sucks to be a running back right now? Literally the worst position to play at NFL right now. You know, it literally sucks. Yeah, I don't know, my guy. We're both members of the Badger Mafia. Well, I'm an adopted member of the Badger Mafia, but more like... It sucks to be you right now, Melvin Gordon. And I guess Saquon doesn't need to say bleep you to the Giants. Saquon does not need to say bleep you to his teammates after all. I could say f*** you to the Giants. I could say f*** you to my teammates. He doesn't need to. You see, Saquon, come to find out, was just way too important to the G-men in the end. You had to know that they were going to cave, Right. You had to know that they were always going to pay this dude, right? So, he got a new deal. He got paid. Exactly how well did he do? Let's check out the numbers from Ian Rappaport at Rap Sheet. Quote, surprise! The Giants and star running back Saquon Barkley agreed to terms on a new one-year deal worth up to $11 million. 
sources say, as Barkley gives himself a chance to beat the franchise tag. He gets a $2 million signing bonus. Bottom line, Barkley is coming in and will be at training camp. Surprise, surprise, mother bleepers. Saquon got his bag. Saquon's going to be in camp. Wait, what? Hold on, what? He got a new deal. It sounds almost like a pay cut. A a one-year deal. Worth up to 11 mil. Let me say that again. A one-year deal, not a multi-year deal, a one-year deal worth, quote, up to 11 mil? It's not guaranteed? Up to 11 mil. Wasn't the tag guaranteed at 10.1 mil? So what did he actually get? He went from a one-year, $10.1 million deal to a one-year deal that might be worth up to 11 mil? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm not a real good negotiator, and maybe I'm not really good at math, but that doesn't sound like much of a win. In fact, it sounds like another loss, another big, fat L. But hey, at least we got ourselves a fun surprise. At least you're not Saquon. All right, fine. So what does this guy have to do? I mean, 900 GUR, I guess, is 900 GUR. Even if really and you're in that tax bracket, it's more like 500 GUR. But what does he have to do to earn that extra 900 GUR? According to at Adam Schefter, compensation update, Saquon Barkley's new one-year deal with the Giants is worth $10.1 million, fully guaranteed. Let me stop right there, full stop. It already was! Well, what kind of a deal is that? He already had that deal. It's 101.1 million, right? There's got to be a decimal that's misplaced. His new deal is 10.1 million fully guaranteed. No, no, his old deal was 10.1 million fully guaranteed. What is the new deal? Why do they keep reporting this? That was the old deal. What is the new deal? At Adam Schefter, compensation update, Saquon Barkley's new one-year deal with the Giants is worth $10.1 million fully guaranteed, same as the old deal, including a $2 million upfront signing bonus. Deal includes $1 million of incentives with an equal amount paid for 1,300 rushing yards, 11 touchdowns, and 65 receptions. So, just so I have this right, let me make sure I got this straight. The Giants guaranteed the same $10.1 million that he was already guaranteed. So they gave him nothing that he wasn't already guaranteed. How generous of them. Surprise! Here's your new deal. Surprise, same surprise. as the old deal. On top of that, no, wait, here's the new deal. We will allow you to earn, in incentives, 900 grand. However, this isn't one of those deals where you just show up to camp and you play 40% of the downs. Oh, no. You need to beat all of your stats from your Pro Bowl season last year to get that 900 grand. 
not 90 mil, 900 grand. I mean, I got to be missing something, right? He, what did he get out of this? Two million of the money they're going to pay him anyway up front, I guess. Tell me he got something significant in order to come in and sign, right? They must have gotten rid of the franchise tag next year, right? Tell me that there's something in that contract that will prevent us from having to do this entire thing again next year. That he made the tag go away next year, right? At Adam Schefter. Well, Saquon Barkley did get $1 million worth of incentives added to his deal. Saquon Barkley did not get a no-franchise tag clause, meaning the Giants can tag him again after this season per source. So what did he really get? Like, almost nothing. That is brutal. Forget the happy headlines. I mean, I know what the team got. The team got their guy in. The team got over. That's what the team got. The team got over. The team got him in. Saquon, though, just got wonkered again. Surprise, you get nothing. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Essentially, that's what they said to him. He got wonkered. You get nothing. You get You lose. You Good lose. day, sir. Good day, sir. I mean, so technically, they advance him money that's already coming to him anyway. But this guy's going to be in the building. In fact, he's already in the building. He's going to be on the field week one. The team got over huge. And he got essentially nothing except a chance to earn an additional 900 gur. But only if he has the best year of his career. And then they get to tag him again next year. In other words, massive win for the G-men. And to me, like a way for Saquon to be able to point to getting something without having to report and get nothing, which would have been a really bad look for him, right? I mean, it should have been, but the man has pride. Good dude, good teammate, good player. You wouldn't want to put, and the team loves him, right? The organization loves him. You wouldn't want this guy to have to come walking back into the facility, tail between his legs, and have nothing to show for it. Except he doesn't really have very much to show for it, but they gave him something. I guess what I'm saying is, Saquon might still want to say bleep you to the Giants. F- you to the Giants. I say f- you to my teammates. And no, my guy Melvin Gordon does not have to adjust his take. His take is still accurate. His take is still the take of the offseason and probably the next few offseasons going forward as well. Literally the worst position to play at NFL right now. You know, it literally sucks. Because Saquon got next to nothing. Something tells me this is not exactly what the other running backs had in mind when they chopped it up on that Zoom over the weekend. I don't think this is the result that the Zoomers had in mind. Then again, this is the whole reason the Zoomers had to Zoom in the first place. Because running backs are screwed. They've got no leverage. They have no options. They have no protection from the CBA. And the fact that Saquon signed the deal that he just signed only proves it further. It hammers that point home because the only reason to sign that deal is you had literally no other choice. At least no other good choice. No way in hell he was going to sit out the season like Le'Veon Bell did in his prime 
and have it wreck his career the way it wrecked Bell's career. So I've got more thoughts on that, but this whole thing about he got a deal. He got a new deal. The hell he did. They got him in. You do not want to be a running back. Not a good deal. Saquon, 10.1 fully guaranteed. Jalen Brown, 304 mil fully guaranteed. Saquon takes care of the rock. Jalen does not. I don't know, man. How many parents right now are ripping the rock out of their little peewee running back's hands? Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back that you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. We are joined right now by Brian Harmon. Brian, great to have you on. Congrats. Has it all sunk in? Brian, what's it feel like? Man, it's been a whirlwind. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm happy to be a part of the show. Dude, I am really happy to have you on the show. It was great to see what you did over the weekend. Listen, you've been grinding an awfully long time to get to this point. I'm curious. It's sinking in, but does it feel the way you thought that it would? Or maybe because it took as long as it did, Brian, does it feel even better? It's a it's a very gratifying it was a very gratifying moment. It's been a lot of a lot of time, a lot of sacrifice, you know, a lot of grinding, a lot of a lot of time out in the range, a lot of time, you know, doubts, you know, all all this stuff. So it just it makes you feel somewhat vindicated that the work that you did was was worth it. Um, but at the same time, it's you know you can you, you can talk to anyone that accomplishes something. You you, you climb to the top of the mountain to find more mountains. You know, we got we got FedEx Cup playoffs coming up. Hopefully Ryder Cup. You know, I got a lot of stuff coming up, so I'm gonna try to stay as sharp as I can and, and, and keep my nose on the grindstone. Brian Harmon joining us. So what's that mean? Have you already enjoyed this thing, celebrated this thing, and have you already moved on? You know, I'm gonna carve out maybe a few more days to celebrate Good. this one and and then we'll get back to work. I'm up here at Kenny Atlas Lake in New York and uh we're gonna we're gonna fill this baby up again tonight. I love it. I was going to say, for those who missed it, how did you end up celebrating that win? It sounds like you're still celebrating that win, but initially, how did you celebrate that win? We went to this uh, this restaurant. It's called Hickory Tavern, which is kind of like a troll against American barbecue where they all dress up in flannel and they're kind of making fun of American barbecue. But we, we had a big table. Uh, Brendan Todd, J.T. Poston, Seth Strack, a couple uh, fellow PGA Tour guys there, and, uh, and we partied. My guy, it feels like that whole week was a troll, except you got the last laugh, which we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> I want to ask you one more thing. Has the Guinness ever tasted better than it did nope. coming out of the Claret Jug? Sure hasn't. Sure hasn't. It was cold as can be, which is a rarity over there, but it was cold as can be, and it was uh, it was fun. We, 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 we partied. We celebrated for sure. Ryan Harmon is your open champion. You know, you talked about having some doubt at some point. You know, there's so much talk about that big chip on your shoulder. I want to say this, Brian. I don't think anybody – I think that's a good thing. I don't think anybody has ever accomplished anything without a big chip on their shoulder 
ultimately, were you looking to prove people wrong or were you looking to prove those who believed in you right? I, I think it was more like more just proving it to myself that I, you know, I've always felt like I could do something like this. And, and you know, I've had success as a junior golfer, as an amateur golfer, college golfer. I had some, you know, I've had a nice career as a PGA Tour player, but I haven't, I haven't had that breakout moment. I haven't had that defining sort of like, all right, you know, here I am. So I always felt like I was capable of it. And it just kind of let outside stuff influence me too much. Worried about what this guy's doing. Worried about, you know, why am I not a pick for the President's Cup? Or why didn't I get picked for the Ryder Cup? Or why, you know, why, you know, this stuff. And, and I thought I did a really good job last week and just be like, I'm going to play golf against myself. And uh, my my stand like my personal standards and what I feel like I'm capable of. Man, my man, that's it. That's everything right there. I was going to ask you about mindset. I really want to get into that with you because that comparison game kills all of us. I don't care what you do in life. The comparison game is one of the most dangerous things. It's got to be you versus you. Even after the win, you said that you were a wreck all week. So what did you do to get control of your mind? I just kept thinking. I, I tried to break it down like what's the most pragmatic way to do this? It's like, all right, well, what do you want the goal to be? Well, I want to win this golf tournament. Well, how do you win this golf tournament? Well, you know, if I was going to give myself advice on how to win a golf tournament, it's like, well, you better get to bed at a decent hour. You better wake up. You better, you know, you get, get real comfortable, maybe give yourself a couple extra minutes on the range. And then when you're out there, if something bad happens or you hit a bad shot, you got to go to the next one and not worry about it. And so I just had like this mentality of like relentless execution, like, I know that I'm executing golf shots. When I'm on the range, everything feels really good. I know I'm putting good. So if I go out there and I just relentlessly execute these shots, that I, that I'm you know I'm going to get where I need to go. Brian Harmon is joining us. He's the Open champion. I love that. That is such great advice because you have self-talk, and a lot of our self-talk is so damaging. However, if you were to tell or give advice to somebody else, you would not say to them what you're saying to yourself, so then you said it to yourself. I think that's great. Now, when you talk about relentless execution, I could argue that you won the Open with your putter. This is a strength to be sure. We know this about you, but have you ever felt better with a putter in your hands than you did last week? No, I can't say. I felt so comfortable with the speed. I always struggle with the speed over there because we, we play a, a greens that are a little bit uh, – not that they're better over here. They're just faster. Uh, and over there, you know, they have to build in a little bit of tolerance for the wind because if they had the same green speed we had here, you couldn't play on half the day. So I'd always struggled getting the speed right. And last year, I felt like I was rounding in the form with the putter over there, was able to, like – and the greens are slower, I should be able to be more aggressive. I should be able to feel more confident. And uh, so I just kind of let it rip, and, and uh, hit, I, I just I hit so many good putts. Um, I made a couple long ones and was just really solid inside of 10 feet. I uh, was really, really proud of the way I drove the ball, too. I kept it in play. I only hit it in one fairway bunker all week, so that's a that's a big sticking point over there. Got a couple of moments with Brian Harmon still yet. Brian, like you like you said, you had a great junior career. You had a great college career. You're an extremely talented guy. Everybody knows this about you. That was never in doubt, but still you're grinding. You're trying to get that major. Were there ever times where you thought, you know, damn, man, maybe it's not meant to be. Maybe I'm not built for it. Maybe I'm just not going to get that break. Maybe I'm not going to get that major. Yeah, it's like, you know, we always talk about, like, cutoffs. 
You know, it's like the list gets shorter. It's like guys that have guys that have made it to the PGA Tour, X amount of guys. Guys that have won once on the PGA Tour, X amount of guys. That have won twice. Guys that have won a major. And it's like, you know, at some point, you know, I'm 36 years old. I've been out there, you know, 12 years. Like, maybe this is who I am. Maybe I'm just a two-win guy. I'm a guy that top tens four or five times a year and finishes, you know, 50th on the FedEx Cup. You know, is that – but for me, I'm like, is that good enough? And the answer internally is always no. No, that's not good enough. That's not that's not what you're here for. That's not what that's not what you're meant to do. And and it it, it is hard though. It's it's really hard, especially because it's a comfortable life. It's comfortable not it's comfortable not being not pressing the envelope when you know that you're good enough to just like maintain the status quo. So. That's always been a big sticking point for me. Like, man, I, I want to push the envelope. I want to be the guy that always gets up off the mat. And um, I'm, I'm glad that I, I stuck with it. I love it. I love that response so much. Before you go, I got to ask you, did you get a kick out of the give and take that you had with the media over there after the win or on any level did you feel disrespected when that one journal said, you know, I've never heard of an open champion celebrating by getting on his tractor. Like I thought you did a great job of rolling with it, but were you thinking, come on jerk, anybody here going to tip their hat to the guy who just won the open championship and ran and ran away with it. Oh man, bring it, bring it. I'll, 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 I'll take on that anytime. You know, I just, I knew what I knew what some of them were trying to to get from me, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to go to war with them. That's that's what they do. That's just what they do, man. The tabs. All right, so leave me with this thought: You have never lobbied for it, but you've put yourself in a position for a spot on the Ryder Cup team. What would it mean to you to secure one of those spots? Like I said, I, I've been um, I've been the first guy off on at least one Ryder Cup and a couple Presidents Cup. I just I've always wanted. I've always wanted to do it, and I've been really close with almost all the captains. And Davis Lowe's a, a dear friend of mine. Zach Johnson's a dear friend of mine. But I've always made a point to where I've never lobbied. I've never lobbied a single time to any one of those guys for a captain's pick. I've never, I've never made my case. I've always wanted to uh, let my golf clubs make my case for me. And this time, I feel like I've done that. My dude, this is a story of not only talent, but grit, perseverance, toughness. I love it. And I love that you made a point of coming on this show. So good to talk to you. So good to meet you. And I appreciate it so much, man. Congrats on the win, Brian. It was great. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you having me on. I'm going to take some telephone calls. Let's go to Alaska. Sam, good to have you. Sam, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Great. You know, I'm just thinking I'm going to – Start this off by saying the NFL is always going to be the top dog. I'm not saying that like, oh, it's gonna they're gonna, uh, you know, they're they're gonna get usurped or something. But they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot here. I got to think with how how little power they give kind of the rank and file uh, uh, members. I mean, how many of these guys? You said what are the good options that Saquon have? I mean, uh, yeah, the NFL is going to pay the, the most money most likely. But there's played there's a CFL. Remember Tim Tebow was. Uh, he played in minor league baseball for a hot minute. How many of these guys could be doing rugby or Austra- excuse me, Australian year uh, Australian rules footballer? Uh, no, uh, I did. You don't like that call. I don't, I don't know like if he did. Not a very good call. Alvin goes. Did you hear a four letter bomb? I said I did. I don't know if he did. But again, if we think that we hear a four letter bomb, we just dump you and ask questions later. I'm not really sure where you were going with that. 
he actually, Sam Alaska, had told Tommy, why don't running backs just play another sport? I think it might be a little late for Saquon Barkley to try another sport. And, and what do you, when you said that, like, I think he tried to turn my argument on me when I said they don't really have other options. And then he pointed out that Tim Tebow played minor league baseball. Yeah, I don't think that paid as well. Nor do I think that went as well. And do you know why he played minor league baseball? Because he couldn't play quarterback. And he was unwilling to accept a position change. By the way, I have no idea why the hell he played minor league baseball. Where did that get him? What was the point of that? He had too much pride to change positions because of the Mets. That's why. He could sell some merch. He could be front and center in New York. He can keep the legend of Tebow. He could get some run. He could get some attention. That's why. And why do you think they brought him up? Why do you think they kept him around? The same reason. Not from a baseball standpoint. What what options do they have? Holding out is not an option. It's not. You don't have that leverage. The Giants would not have been as good without Saquon, but they would have moved on without Saquon if he held out. Somebody else would have got the rock. So where is Saquon going to go? Again, I, I point you back to Exhibit A, Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell was arguably the best back in the NFL at that time. Le'Veon Bell was in his prime. Le'Veon Bell was 26, and he held out. And what did that do other than wreck his career? Holding out is not an option. Well, that's okay, Rome. There are other leagues. He can go to the CFL. Oh, really? Mark in Boston to the front of the line because the champ is here. What's going on, champ? How you feeling? Hear ye, hear ye, Jim. Thank you again, man, for the smack-off championship. I know you said before the break, have I moved on? My wife has moved on. I think the only advice I got from her was, oh, okay, honey, no more blacking out in a cow costume in Wisconsin, okay? Uh, and, Jim, uh, I'm sorry, I really haven't had a chance to look at the headlines. I just heard that Jim Harbaugh was suspended for the first four games of the season. Clearly something heinous and egregious must have happened for him to be suspended like that. Like, did he have a tight end go on a murdering spree in college in the NFL and he turned a blind eye? No, that wasn't it. Uh, was he spotted at a Columbus, Ohio sports bar on hump day checking the oil of local co-eds? No. Nope. Wasn't infidelity or anything like that. Uh, oh, I know, I know. He must have covered up one of his coaches for multiple domestic violence allegations for years. No? All right, all right let me look. Um, Jim Harbaugh suspended for buying recruits dinner and lying about it? Damn, tough scenes, NCAA. Cue the law and order, drop LB. Bong, bong. And uh, congrats to the Michigan State Spartans. Harbaugh getting suspended for four games. That's going to be the biggest win you guys have this season. Uh, you're not going to hear from the Spartans about this, though, Jim, because from a literacy standpoint, they're struggling to figure out how to quote seat and sum out LOL without getting a headache. Spartans, what is your profession? I'll give you a hint, Jim. It's the same thing that Matt in L.A. is doing right now. And uh, I can only imagine how epic it must have been when the NCAA mall cops showed up on their segues to levy that brutal punishment. We're not going to have coach for East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers? Damn, you really got us by the short hairs now, NCAA. Now, as you know, Jim, I'm the quintessential Michigan man in the jungle. I'm pretty plugged in. So I do have a statement from Coach Harbaugh. And uh, with your permission, I'd love to read it for your audience now. Um, 
Romy, it's good to be on your show. Thanks for taking my statement. I want to wish everyone a happy summer. I don't really have a lot of smack today. It's the holiday. Day of peace and harmony, like Fuzzy and Tiger and the Masters. Uh, just want to wish you all a happy summer, except for some of you clones out there that don't have families or behind your child support like that idiot Wells in the 360 who said Mark and Boston should call today. Tell that clone to get a life. See y'all, those are called sports takes on topic, off season from the reigning king. Go blue losers. Rock him. Here you go, champ. Congrats. I love it. I love it. Let's go to Florida. We're rolling telephone calls. Hey, be a part of this. 1-800-636-8686. Florida, Justin. Good to have you, Justin. How are you? Justin. Hello? You're on the air. Go ahead. Jesse. Ah! No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Justin. Jesse, whoever you are, I don't think you're going to win the smack off. And Tommy, chat me up really quickly. Was he not responding because I was calling him Justin when his name was Jesse and he didn't know I was talking to him? So I think that's what just happened, yes. <laughs> Alvin thinks that's funny. <laughs> and then Alvin ran him because he corrected, corrected me. You. Exactly, that's it. <laughs> but I was wrong. We've gone through this. So rules many are times. rules, Jim. Rules are rules. All right. Thank you, you very those. much. Thanks for the clarification. That that cracks me up every single time. Alvin, it's not a good rule. Like, I'm wrong. Alvin's like, don't crack the host. Yeah, but what if the host is no, wrong? No, no. I'm the one demanding accountability, responsibility, and extreme ownership. I got the guy's name wrong. I mean, Tommy got the guy's name wrong technically, but it is my show, and I addressed him incorrectly. Alvin's take has always been, who cares, dude? If Rome gets the name wrong, just roll with it, man. Improvise. These are just technicalities. Who cares what your name is? You might be Jesse in the real world. Your birth certificate might be Jesse. Stop self-glossing, Jesse. You're Justin here on the show. Justin... Jesse, Jester, Geoff, who cares? Like, what if Mark in Boston, what if his name is really Mike? And then the first time I called him, Mark, or he called here, I called him Mark, and he didn't correct me. In all these years, he's been Mark in Boston. What if he said to me today, hey, Rome, I think now is the time to set the record straight. I finally won the smack off. I need to tell you something. My name is really actually Mike. You called me Mark the first time I called back in the day. I didn't want to get run because I knew the rules of the program. So I rolled with it. I improvised and I didn't say anything. However, now that I have the crown and I am a made man, I need you to call me Mike going forward. I mean, I guess that could have happened. It just always cracks me up that Alvin always runs people for correcting me when I got their name wrong. And I keep trying to change that rule, but it's Alvin's rule. So Justin, Jesse, Geoff, whoever the hell you are, I apologize. You did not deserve that. It's a jacked up jungle rule that somehow has been grandfathered in 
They're not even grandfathered in. I got here before Alvin, but Alvin made the rule and is not coming off his high horse. So let that be a lesson. If you want to be on the air and we butcher your name, just go with it. We are joined right now by Patrick McEnroe. Patrick, it's been a minute. It's good to have you back, my guy. How are things? I'll, t- I'll tell you, Jim, it's, it's, it's pretty rare that someone goes through my, my, my tennis playing record. So, I mean, I, I, I appreciate you and your team digging deep there. I mean, that's, that's going to the well there, my man. Not so hard. That was actually pretty easy and fun. It's good to have you back. Good to hear your voice. <laughs> Listen, you play so many different roles right now. We could start this conversation any number of ways, but why don't we start and talk about Wimbledon. You called that incredible singles final with Carlos Alcaraz outlasting the Joker in a dramatic five-set win. Given that the Spanish star, Patrick, is only 20, did his win in London signify a passing of the torch? Well, Jim, uh, first of all, uh, it, it signified the fact that somebody young and upcoming was ready, willing, and able to take down, you know, one of these all-time greats. And, and by that, I mean Nadal, Federer, who's now officially retired, and, of course, the Joker, as you call him, rightly so. I mean, he's, he's the man that's on top of the mountain, uh, of the biggest mountain there is when it comes to tennis in, in the men's side with those three guys. So I was, I was really happy for tennis in general that a young guy was willing, as I said, and able to beat him in such a big spot when Djokovic still is, if not in his prime, certainly very close to being in his prime. What, what I really didn't want to see happen, Jim, was, you know, Djokovic, sort of like Nadal's happened with him, that injuries have caught up to him and he just sort of, just sort of falls by the wayside, and that allows the younger guys to win. And I think for this, that's why I said this is great for tennis. I still think Joker is the best player in the world because if you look at his record this year, he won the other two majors. He's got a phenomenal record. But this this is a guy who's going to win double-digit majors for sure in Alcaraz. And it, it, it's sort of a changing of the guard in a way that he plays the modern – you know, he's taking the game to another level as far as speed, explosiveness – Joker is still able to play with him at the moment, uh, and he'll be able to play with him, I think, probably for the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. But after that, I think it's going to be hard to stop Alcaraz. And then hopefully, Jim, some of the other younger players will step up and realize, you know what, it's time to knock these guys off the mountaintop for good because that's what every sport needs, and uh, especially tennis, which is such a star-driven individual sport. We are talking to Patrick McEnroe. You know, you literally ripped my next question. I was going to say, Patrick, we've seen so many young tennis phenoms flame out in the past, but Alcarez, he just seems like he's built differently, right? He plays with so much composure. He's got that second major. I was going to say, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but if he stays healthy, could you see him making a run at double-digit majors, but you beat me to it? You can almost assume that, right? I think you can assume that, Jim. I think, uh, you know, the, the bigger question is can he get closer to, to 20, you know? And wow. uh, like you said, you know, health is going to be number one. He's so explosive. He's so quick. Uh, it, he's almost like an unbelievable running back, you know, that comes into the NFL that you're like, wow, this guy's almost running so hard and he can, and he can get by so many people. You wonder how long he can last. And that's, that's the thing he's going to have to learn. I mean, that's what Djokovic learned. Even Nadal, who he thought would, would probably be done by the time he was 30, 
you know, was able to figure out how to take care of himself, put, a, put the good team around him. And I think Alcaraz will do the same. And the great thing about his game, Jim, is he can play on anything. I mean, he figured out how to play on grass basically as the tournament was unfolding at Wimbledon. He, that was only the fourth tournament he'd ever played in his life on grass. That's incredible. And to beat, to beat Novak, you know, which I think now I actually think that grass probably his most dominant surface just because there are so few guys that can play on it. Obviously, he's still great on every other court as well. But Alcaraz showed us all something with his adaptability through the course of the tournament. His gumption, you know, in that fifth set when he was almost down a break. Um, and just as I said in the telecast, just, he just got unbelievable moxie. He just gets it. And I was in Indian Wells out by you in, in, in the desert in California this earlier this year for the first match that he played. And they did this whole presentation for him, Jim. It was like you were at, a, at an NBA game, you know, with the intros and all that. And he just has this star quality about him. He smiles to the crowd, but then he delivers as well on the court. And that's, I think, what makes us in the tennis world, you know, super excited about what this guy brings to the table. Patrick McEnroe joining us. Patrick, one last thought about Djokovic. To your point, we're talking about a guy who's still essential—a guy who's still essentially in his prime. I mean, he came up short, but he has won two majors this year. He does have 23. He's playing at a very elite level still yet. And you said arguably the best in the world still. Is he the best ever? Is he the GOAT? Uh, to me, he is, Jim, and I'll tell you why. I mean, obviously, we, we, we do talk about the numbers, you know, he's, and for, for better or worse, it's become more about the major numbers in the last 10 to 15 years. I mean, remember when my brother played with Borg and Connors? I mean, the Australian Open, Jim, was an afterthought. I mean, those guys, I mean, my brother never even played the Australian Open until late in his career. Borg never played it, period. So, essentially, they were playing three majors a year. So things have changed, but because of the way things are, uh, i got to give it to Djokovic because he's got one more now than Nadal. He's got three more than Federer. And I think even more importantly to me, Jim, is that he's got a better head-to-head against those guys, particularly in the biggest moments and the biggest tournaments. And what's supposed to be his worst surface, which is clay, he's won now the French Open three times. Okay, including beating Nadal a couple of times along the way, who's obviously the greatest clay court player by far, bar none. And just as a reminder to everyone out there, and I'm, I'm the biggest Roger Federer fan there is, he's, he's, you know, his grace and, and, and dexterity and his persona that he brought to tennis arguably makes him maybe the most popular athlete on the planet. Um, only won one French Open. So Djokovic has won every major at least three times. You know, he's won 10 Australians and seven Wimbledons and three and three and the other two. So, to me, that makes him the greatest. He's not the most flamboyant. He's not the most fun to watch, like Nadal with his athleticism and Federer with his grace. But you talk about technique, Jim. You talk about no weaknesses. You talk about being able to do everything extremely well, not to mention being the gutsiest, balliest player I've ever seen, meaning he plays his best when he's in crunch time, that is what separates him from all the other players. Patrick McEnroe joining us. So, Patrick, before you go, I mentioned you are the new president of the International Tennis Hall of Fame, which held its annual induction ceremony and men's tournament last week. 
Having grown up, Patrick, you might recall I played tennis in Southern California. I was pumped to see an 18-year-old, Alex Mickelson, who played his high school tennis here in Orange County, make a run to the finals in only his second tour-level event. How impressed were you by Alex, and how bright is his future? Uh, I was super impressed, Jim. It was the first time I'd seen him play. And my, my, our buddy, who I know you know, Brad Gilbert, who's also from California, he'd been telling me about him a, a, over a year ago. He was watching him play in some minor league tournaments in California. He said, PMAC, you got to keep your eye on this guy. So I got to see him up close and personal. What, what most impressed me about him, Jim, is he's got an all-around game. He's a big kid. He's 6'5". Reminds me a little bit of Medvedev at, at that height, able to move extremely well, big serve. But here's what impressed me the most about him, Jim. This was shocking to me. He was there. He had just come from winning a challenger, which is like a triple-A tournament to, to baseball in tennis, straight there by himself in Newport, Rhode Island, at the tournament, no coach, no trainer, no physio, no hanger-on, Nobody, no parent, no nothing. 18 years old. That's like how we used to do it back in the day, Jim. That's how we used to roll. I was like, man. Hey, hey, Patrick, 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 on the changeover, was he drinking water out of a tennis can? (laughs) Yeah, he he shook it up before. You know, you put the top on, you shake it, and then you throw the water out, and then you fill it up. I said to my daughters, I said, that's how you rinse the can. That's how we did it. Right. So another another really good young American player, of which we've got a, quite a few coming up. What we need, Jim, to take tennis to another level, at least in our country, is for one of these young Americans to get in the mix as far as winning majors along with Alcaraz. If we can get that, tennis will be back to where it was 20, 25 years ago. All right, so leave me with that thought. We have not had an American win a major since Andy Roddick won the U.S. Open in 03. You've got Taylor Fritz, who's number nine. We've got, we've got seven guys in the top 50. Can you see any of them breaking through? You know, I think, I think Tiafo's got a shot at, at number 10. He's got the athleticism and the speed. He had a great run in New York last year when he lost to Alcaraz in five. But I think the guy for me that's got the best all-around game is Sebastian Corda. You probably know his sisters that were both, you know, top uh, female golfers in the world. His dad was a professional great player from the Czech Republic in my days, and they all moved to Florida. They're all American. They all grew up there. I think he has the best all-around game, uh, and I, I can see him winning Wimbledon. You've got to get stronger physically. And look, you saw it, Jim. You're going up against this guy Alcaraz now. This guy's like LeBron James, right? I mean, in a t- in, on a tennis court. I mean, that's you know, athletically how good he is. So we need someone that can, that can hang with a guy like that uh, in best of five sets. But I think, we, as you said, Mickelson's another guy to add to the mix. We've got a really good group of excellent young players. If one of them could break out, we'd be in real business. He is the president of the International Tennis Hall of Fame, a broadcaster for ESPN, former captain of the U.S. Davis Cup team, and did win those 16 doubles titles. Don't you forget it. Patrick, my man, so good to get caught up. That was so much fun. Appreciate you, and it was great to have you back. Thanks for doing that. And and don't forget, I was a regular back on your TV show back in the day, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and I love being on the set with you back in the day. My man. thank you for having me. Good night now!